Everybody coming up on the Matt Townsend Show today, is it okay to fail? You know, we see our kids mess up and it just kills us inside, right? Coming up, we're going to be talking with an expert who says you have to fail to succeed. We're going to be talking about how to help you become better failures up next on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. A U.S. military strike on Syrian targets could come as soon as Thursday, according to NBC News. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel says military assets have been moved into place and are ready to fulfill whatever orders President Obama decides to give. Despite U.S. forces preparing for action, top Obama administration officials said today the president has not yet decided to give the order to attack Syria in response for the suspected use of chemical weapons on civilian targets. The massive wildfire burning in and around Yosemite National Park is now spreading to higher elevations, giving fire crews their first break in battling the blaze. The fire has burned hotter and faster than any other in the region's history. A federal court overseeing Detroit's bankruptcy filing is speeding up the already accelerated hearing to decide if the city is allowed to seek protection from its creditors. Initial arguments in the case will now be begin at the middle of next month. Once again, convicted Fort Hood gunman Major Nadal Hassan has rested his defense without providing any testimony or statement of any kind. This time, his silence came during the sentencing portion of his trial. He may face the death penalty. In world news, amid talk of Western nations preparing for a strike on Syria, Russian leaders are saying efforts to base a military intervention on the supposed use of chemical weapons by Assad loyal troops will create catastrophic consequences for Syria and other nations in the region. Meanwhile, United Nations officials in Iran are urging Iranian leaders to sway Syrian President Bashir Assad to attend planned peace talks with opposition groups in Geneva. U.N. leaders are hopeful working with Iran and other neighboring nations will bring a swift end to the bloodshed. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Today we are talking about failure. I've been so excited for this show. Never have I been more prepared for one show than today's show. The show on failure. Some of the people that are joining me today have never failed. And some, that's all they do. Right, Skyboy? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm talking about you're the one that's never I'm, failed. I'm the one who's never failed. Never, failed, never failed, except for babysitting your family. I guess uh, who, who the other person is. Who is the other person? I'm trying to, because um, I didn't assign it to anyone. It's it's me. No, it's not. Somebody is not failing anymore. We won't get into it, Rob. Rob's had a really good uh, push of luck <laughs> lately. Okay, okay, what is it? Because it's pretty cool. What, it's really cool. Let's just really say cool. Rob's a dating machine. I've said it. He's a he's a achie- he's hit an achievement. He's blowing it wide open. He's a dating machine. Boom, Rob. What'd you do? That's I, a pop. I, I gave up. I just <laughs> finally, instead of even caring what the girl thinks, I was just like, you know, somebody I know. Hey, you want to go out? Because I'd like to, but whatever. Yeah. And you for some what? reason, girls it's find working. that attractive. Well, it's totally because you're not afraid to fail. Oh, I just I don't care anymore. Well, you used to. I, I failed enough times. I just like well, well I know that. So you've you've mastered failure, 
And now that you've mastered it, you don't care. And now you're mastering success. Yeah. Like he's got 38 dates in the next two days. <laughs> he's a dating machine. That's great, Rob. We're going to have to interview him. Should we do well, a little post-mortem? We'll have a little post-mortem after each day. We'll bring her on. We'll talk. Truth we'll be told, that actually be kind of fascinating because I could learn if there's a consistent thing I'm doing wrong. You that, really want to know this? On the air, why, I mean. What do I have to lose? Well, other know. Than, you know. Pride. Yeah, that's gone. Yeah, that's not that. maybe, a little, maybe a little shame. This is great. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. So, Sky, I hope you're watching. We could help you. Watching? I hope you're watching how <laughs> Look at Rob is totally turned around. He's a whole new man. I think it's the bling. Helps a lot. He's wearing a yeah, lot that more looks jewelry. really good, by the way. And he wears... Um, Gold that, chains. Really and, helping. Well, and he, he uses a ton of axe. Is that what it's called? Tons no, of I'm, axe. I'm still an Old Spice man. Are you? He's still old spice in it. But whatever it is, it's working. No, actually, we won't know because you've, these are all kind of you, – you're meeting them for the first time. Yeah, 100 first dates or one date 100 times, which is better, you know? I think I think, Probably the latter, I, I think but... one of these next 30 that you're going to have in the next couple of days, one of these is going to go. I think I so. I can feel it. Yeah. Good odds. So, Sky, um, you're next. Okay. Get ready. I'm ready. Gird up. I'll get my bling and my axe. <laughs> that is tell me that is not bound for failure right there. I mean don't, Sky don't you, Boy's bling and his axe. Don't you pity the fool who doesn't take his bling on a date, you know? Yeah. yeah. I kind of pity the fool that thinks it's all about the bling and the axe. It's for working, those that it's don't working know, for Rob. But axe is a body spray. A body spray for middle school boys. <laughs> That's the stipulation. That's what we're getting at here. A, but you know what? Once, no, no. Once, once the commercials can, are funny. It, commercials are a bit lewd sometimes. No, no, no. Once, you, once you can get a driver's license, yeah. it's time to get cologne. Well, not That's, even cologne, just Axe. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean you've grown out of it? You've grown out of Axe. Yeah, once you've got your really, driver's I mean, permit. The purpose that that body spray serves it's to make smelly boys not smell so bad. Yeah, well, it's a cover up. Well, yeah. there, there's that that era of junior high where in elementary school you bathe once a week when your mom says go take a bath and by high school you're bathing every day and wearing cologne and yeah. trying to impress girls and and if you're in seventh eighth ninth grade you're somewhere in that spectrum <laughs> and body spray sometimes <laughs> is the stopgap. you've got to admit though it's a body spray like axe is better than febreze yeah so, I wonder if there's ever been a kid who's like, oh, oh I'm, I'm sure there's. Where, the mom's like, Febreze. where is my Febreze? Oh, it's up in my room, mom. I'll get it. You know, in emergencies, I could I could see myself oh. doing that. Febrezing. Well, I mean, I'd Febreze my clothes, not well, me. Well, why don't you just axe? Well, if I ran out of axe. Do you have axe? No. I have cologne. <laughs> I poor, have grown up. Poor eighth grade kid at the dance, dancing with a girl, and then she's like, you remind me of my grandma's house. <laughs> Oh, I'm telling you, those were the days. Because see, back in the day, you won't remember this because you all are young. But back in the day, people would like get Brute. That was a cologne. And they'd have all these different bottles that look like cars. And the cologne would come in like a car-shaped bottle. I recently went and shopping. And they'd be on the back of a toilet. 
And it was a big cologne collection. Sounds like Rob's cologne. Is that like right? It kind of is. In fact, Old Spice was. I didn't know you could get it in a car bottle. Oh yeah, I saw Next one that time. was. I saw one just recently. It was like it was like a flask, but like a, like a leather bound <laughs> no, but that's flask. It. Yeah, that was it. Like that's pretty manly, I uh-huh. guess. But, but these were the kind that like came with the Avon lady. Oh, so they were more about. It wasn't just about cologne. Some of it was decor. Like we were, you were trying to decorate the well, bathroom. Like the bottles are colored, mm-hmm. or the they were bottle. Were they called a bottle? They were. Cologne? I think they were a container. Um, I just think they called decanter. Them a decanter, a car, car. It was like a because then like it's like, hey, you're powerful, Wait, you where smell the, good, where did and the you have a car. Come out of the car. Don't ask. Okay. <laughs> Don't ask. Right out of the hood. Right out of the. No, it was just you have to unscrew the lid on the bottle. Oh, and then you dab it. Yeah, it was oh. a dabble. Oh, oh, Don's coming in. Don, in Don old has the old uh, – okay, Don, you've had the old cologne. It wasn't Brute in the car-shaped bottle. No, no, it wasn't. But no. that was one of like the – That was Avon. That, was Avon the car ones? Avon had every shape in the world. They're the coolest shape. Did you have these, like Don? Ducks. Okay, like all, I remember the yeah. – Were they, you know, were they else, dabs a car, what else? or they were, spritzes? They were, they were, no, they were dabbers. Dabbers? Okay. I don't yeah, remember yeah. them spritzing. No, they, no, they didn't, hadn't invented the spray bottle yet. It was all about the dab. Did you have these, Don? Yeah. Does that not bring back memories? Tons. Oh, you remember, you remember uh, <laughs> Six Flags or whatever it was called, yeah. all those different countries, and you'd get like 89 flags? <laughs> yeah. The problem with that yeah. – you know what the problem was? What? You got all these cool bottles, tons. You collect all and of you them. You weren't using them all. Yeah, and after about a week, they all turned to straight yeah, alcohol. Straight alcohol. No smell at all. Exactly. No, <laughs> you were, and, and you were the, disinfecting. Well, your then, but did you put yours on the toilet? See, so my my <laughs> uncle had his laid out on the toilet lid. Mm. I mean, the, the whatever the back is with like a big furry you carpet, your, and your then he'd lay them out, and he had a nice like layout. As long as the carpet also extended to the yeah. seat, Do you so remember? You had a matching one. Those were the days. Those were the days. Now, Brute had a little like gold medallion well, that hung Brute. around. Yeah, there. Brute was definitely junior high. That was yeah. uh, you could get a bottle of Brute. <laughs> Brute in the in the gym locker. Do you remember this? Like, do you remember? And then I remember Polo because that was like the big advancement. Yeah. Remember the Polo, the little green Polo, oh, bottle? a little bit. Yeah, that's right, Polo Elsha. If, if you were high dollar, you had Elsha. Yeah, I was never that rich. No, no I wasn't either. No, I didn't I knew have somebody more than had 10 it, bucks for my <laughs> cologne. Don, what else did you wear? Did you – because uh, Old Spice is Robbie's favorite. Yeah, Old Spice was there. I mean, that's that been one? around forever. What was the one? There was something that was lime. Uh, it was nasty. Uh, <laughs> you smell good, by the way. Oh, when you walked in, I could yeah, you could you could smell, I could that. smell it wafting. Um, and actually, guy, after a while, what we did was we took all the bottles and mixed them together. And oh lit, no! Oh yeah, lit them on fire or something. Oh, like yeah. that. Okay, okay. Had, you <laughs> didn't wear that, did you? <laughs> no. But the cars were cool. Oh, they were great bottles. It was Avon. Oh, wow. I knew yeah. it was Avon. Yeah, Avon had these bottles. Yeah. Was Avon amazing. was rocking it. It was. I haven't seen a lot of really good cologne bottles in shapes of cars lately. They should bring them back. <laughs> I think sales will go so, through the roof. Someone should talk to Hot Wheels. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Um, because, you know, Skyboy uses um, an air freshener called uh, – what's it called, Sky? Febreze. Febreze. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. But um, we're Look, try- think, That's why we're trying to talk about it. I think it. every bachelor – Who's, who's gone into his closet and realized something smells bad, but I've washed everything. I don't know what it is. They will just take Febreze to their entire closet. Just like and move just everything. Febreze just, it. Just get the carpet, get the ceiling. Kind of fumigate. Get, yeah, just fumigate the closet <laughs> because you don't know. And everything, you, you'll take it out of the dryer. It smells great. You'll oh, put it man. in the closet and it comes out smelling funky. See, I've never been a bachelor long enough to do that. It's a real thing. Is that how you do it? I know That's people that won't clean their clothes. That's they just way. Febreze them. Oh. 
That's wrong. That's wrong. Don, we're talking failure today. Have you ever known anyone that's failed? Yes. He's not in this room, is he? Or she? I won't say okay, anything. You're not <laughs> I get it. I'm with you. Talking failure. Mm-hmm. We're, in fact, did you hear our tease earlier? Yeah. We're here to help you become better failures. Uh, that is a great thing because I, I think too often, I know in my case, I'm scared to death to fail. You know, that, I am that too. It's, yeah, it's something I'm actually like, afraid to succeed. <laughs> even That's worse, kind of worse. Even worse. But, but I fail pretty easily. I, I think our society kind of takes us that way, doesn't it? It yeah. says that if you fail, you're a failure. And, you're a and, failure. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're just putting dab and cologne on to try and cover your it ear, up. and it's coming yeah. out of the innards of a car. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to get Or a there. duck. Or a duck. <laughs> I remember, Don. See, Don, I'm glad you're here because these guys look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, it really happened, guys. Believe me. Avon <sighs> calling. You guys are like, I've never heard of that. And we bring Don in. It's like we wheeled him out of a closet. <laughs> oh, here's Don. Yeah. Two-hour credit. No offense, Don. <laughs> we have heard of Avon. You've heard of Avon, but you didn't know they were bringing cars with cologne in it. Jeepers, creepers. We love you, Don. Everybody doing okay? Okay, let me know if they're having any problems with any of these guys. It's always scary when the boss comes in. Everyone gets all quiet. Sky, like, takes his cape off. It's weird. We're talking failure today, kids. Now, uh, Merritt, you've been real quiet. I Yeah. Why was it when we jumped into the... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are, what are like, perfume bottles? Perfume what's, bottles? What's the story on those? Because I don't... They're pretty. Okay, there like, you go. I don't know. You and, put you them on the back have, of a toilet? Yeah, but you don't buy, like, a lot. You just buy one. Is there a you car perfume? A did Avon make a minivan perfume bottle? I, I could not know. the sports car one? Or? <laughs> I don't think they did no. that. No, they want. They probably make pretty flowery. Yeah, they're like yeah, yeah. They're pretty. I don't, I don't know. A they're pink pretty. Volkswagen Beetle stuff in them. No, I don't think no. they do that either. Yeah. You went real quiet when we started talking about it. We didn't even know we were going to go there. No, I I didn't know, and I had very little to contribute. So well, you've smelled I, Axe before. Right? You never wore yes. Axe in middle school. <laughs> no, I didn't. Actually. <laughs> no, but her boyfriend I I, did. <laughs> yeah. Did it work? What? Did yeah, you... the chocolate temptation. That's like the best one. Just Holy so you know. Holy cow! There's a chocolate temptation. <laughs> yeah. Now we know. I didn't know. That. No, so, yeah, that's the best Hold one. On. Do, if you have to. Do girls like guys that smell like chocolate? I guess girls like anything that smells like chocolate. It doesn't really smell like chocolate. That's just okay. a lie. It's an illusion. Yeah. I don't know that I'd want to walk around smelling like chocolate. No, you don't smell like chocolate. You smell something vaguely reminiscent of cocoa beans. So it's like. Even worse. <laughs> so, so, so you kind of smell like an old cup of coffee? Yeah. <laughs> a little souffle. It's I don't cuddly. know. You... I don't know. Okay. So okay. maybe that was a fail. Your, your tangent? Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was amusing. <laughs> I learned some things that I did not know I don't know even before. know how we got there. I'm sure Sky did something. Did you push a button, Sky? Is that how we got there? No, I haven't pushed a button. You yet. said axe. No, I said axe. I think we were talking Rob's about dating, my my bling, my bling and my axe. You're yeah. blinging your axe. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Anywho, okay, failure. Failure. Teach us. Okay, well, we always think failure is the best learner, and nah. that's what we've been talking about. Failure is. I think just great nailing it, just nailing it, getting it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Because Matt always, you always do that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my middle name. Yeah. Anyway, so we know the failure is best learner, but we kind of like try to convince ourselves that there's this thing called positive reinforcement that will help us. And I have done some research on it. What did you learn? I, I learned that positive reinforcement is only for dogs or for dating. That's kind oh, really? of like, yeah, two categories. So two so things Pavlovian. Yeah. Either, either you know. Dogs and dogs. dates. It dogs wasn't because... a tangent. It was a segue. We're well, right back where we started. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It was like a 12-minute segue. <laughs> 
Those go fast. Anyway. So you're saying uh, um, positive reinforcement is not necessarily a great way to learn. No. What it does is it makes you feel good. You have a reaction to yeah. it. So, for example, if my dog does something great, I give him a little treat, and he's like, dude, bacon, and he gets excited. Bacon, and so he'll yeah. do it again because he likes bacon. That's if he knows what he did. Yeah. So yeah. the reinforcement would have to come very quickly after mm-hmm. whatever he did. Yeah. So dating. So say you're sitting there and you're flirting with someone. Give her a little bacon. Yeah. Person giggles, laughs at your joke, whatever. Boom. There you go. Axe. And so you have to assume that whatever you just did worked. worked. Unless she just has got a giggle problem. Yeah. She could have the giggle problem. That's interesting. So we're not necessarily learning. We're just reinforcing behavior. Or, for example, you could do it with kind of negative, too. So say you're dating someone and they're, like, not responding to anything you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're, like, trying to flirt, but they're just like, like man, I'm being really nice. Yeah, yeah. She hates that. But no, just be she you hates know, just that. What yeah, you do it's right better there. to be mean. Then but you, really, they could just be having a bad day. It could be. But that's so. when you pull out the grade school, like, you pull her hair. <laughs> Because that always so, Somehow less cute in my 20s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was old school. But isn't it? Yeah, so we need some reinforcement in the dating so we know. Yeah. But that's not necessarily going to make a, you a better dater because that only really applies to this one lady. Mm-hmm. And not only that, mm. but you're never going to really know yeah. what works unless every once in a while you do something bad and you have an experience where you're like, well, I better not do that again. I better do this instead. Yeah. But don't so you think in dating? But then in dating, we don't ever give feedback. So you do something bad, and then you don't actually know why. They just kind of don't call. Yeah, yeah. So, so then you're like left wondering, and then you assume they just lost their phone. Maybe someone died. Yeah. So in dating, you're like not allowed to fail because you don't want the other person to feel bad. Yeah. But obviously, it is something bad. But you can't let them know what they did badly, and so it's kind of this whole thing. And we assume that the reinforcement work, but yes. you have to know what you did wrong and learn from your failure in order to get something right eventually. See, now let's go to Rob because Rob has changed his entire dating behavior. Did he do it Pavlovian, in a Pavlovian way by positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, or did you just learn? Do you know what it's like when you're building a model car, model airplane or something like that? No. And- no, I don't. Imagine for a moment you're building a model airplane. Okay. <laughs> and you're a third to halfway into it, and you realize that nothing is snapping together and gluing together like it's supposed to. Or, you know, it's a cheap it's model. It's a nice 90-degree angle, and you put the glue on, and it's an 80-degree angle. And just it just looks like a little kid's building it. And you finally have that moment where you just don't care and you throw the thing back down on the table and just start randomly gluing stuff on it. You're just like, nothing to lose. Don't care. Wow. Just going to glue all the parts together and whatever. Is that what you did? Emotionally, yes. I can hardly wait Not to literally. see the girl you're dating. <laughs> she sounds like she's going to be a wreck. But that moment where you metaphorically, trying, well, instead of trying to get everything perfect, you know, you think, yeah. oh, I got to send a text to a girl. What it's am I going be to exactly say? Exactly right, right. What witty thing could I put in there? Instead, you just. Whatever, you're just like, so how's it going? But you just learned really to just be you. Maybe. We'll see. My, my more impatient, less thoughtful self. Well, apparently it's working. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's working. We're talking failure. And apparently it's good to fail. And that's how we learn, right? So we're going to be bringing on an expert who's going to teach us. Diana Loffenberg's going to be joining us. She's going to teach us the, about the power of failure. And uh, how to shift our minds a little bit so we're, we're maybe o- more okay with a little bit of failure in our life. Also, we're going to be bringing on the great Bryce Tobin. 
who's got a little bit of a take on failure teachers and their students and some of the tricks, I guess, that uh, are some of the things that teachers see kids are trying to do with their paperwork in school. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back, maybe a little failure during the break. Come back with some great learning right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. The unique solar panel design goes from powering distant probes to powering utilities in the Southwest. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Solar electric propulsion is a rocket that doesn't burn chemicals in the traditional sense. It turns heavy metals into a high-speed jet of ion vapor using magnetic fields, and this makes a solar-powered rocket that's extremely fuel-efficient in deep space. It's hard designing solar panels for spacecraft going way out into the dark edges of the solar system. As the sun dims, you need bigger panels to capture the same amount of energy, but that adds weight and complexity we don't want. The Deep Space One probe went chasing comets and asteroids for the first demonstration of ion propulsion on a real mission with great success. That's partly because the special solar concentrator panels on board were compact and lightweight. Instead of large, floppy reflectors, these concentrate the sun's weaker light by using prisms. This design, developed in cooperation with NASA's Glenn Research Center, led to a commercial-grade solar panel that does very well in the deep southwest, where it's offered for use by utility companies. The Intex Solar Volt module even won a Top 100 award in 2012 from R&D Magazine. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU Radio is the home of the Cougars. Rise up and become a corporate sponsor today. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email support at byu.edu. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about failure. How are you doing at that? Are you a very good failure? I think I've mastered failure. Here's a great quote. I failed my exam in some subjects, but my friend passed. Now he's an engineer in Microsoft, and I am the owner. That's Bill Gates. Aha, what a loser. Failed some exams. Loser, loser. Didn't even graduate, did he? I don't think he did. What a failure. Bill Gates. <laughs> what an extremely wealthy and pretty uh, yeah, giving, know, give, charitable, charitable failure. 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 It's uh, it's for everybody. Now, Bryce, you have been scouring um, what papers written <laughs> really, to teachers. Really, all I did was text Merritt last night. Hey, could you get your parents to like tell me some of the worst things your Merritt's their kids parents have done? are both college professors, and those college professors see a lot of failure. More like they read a lot of failure. They read a lot of failure in the form of papers. And so Bryce put together a little rant for us about that. I feel like the English language is kind of in a cool place. We're no longer super concerned with things like spelling or grammar. Not that they aren't important, but it seems like we're more focused on content. And I think a big contributor to this change is our word processing programs taking care of spelling and grammar for us. But these programs have not figured out how to recognize when we're using the wrong word. And so our very own Merritt Meekum, her parents are both professors. I figured they've run into the wrong word being used in a very wrong place more than once. So here's kind of their best hits. 
There was the student that mixed up the word erotic with exotic. So when they were describing an exotic piece of music, it turned it into a very different paper meant for a very different class. Or how about these two words? There's ethereal, meaning extremely delicate and light in a way that seems too perfect for this world. Also, if we're talking chemistry, it means having diethyl ether as a solvent. Didn't know that before I looked it up. And then there's the word urethral, which is pretty bad because those have nothing to do with each other. And then, not to keep your head in the gutter, but the piece of music in question used an organ as an instrument. So then this person, using the word urethral instead of ethereal, went on for a few paragraphs to talk about the organ. Or then you have just the opposite word being used. One student used deficient instead of the word proficient and essentially wrote a paper all about how they needed to get worse at playing their instrument. And let's not forget, these professors are teaching kids who are graduating with degrees in music. And one student kept mixing up the word mucus with the word music. And I'm just going to say that probably wasn't the first paper where they used the word music. Other fun ones that they've run into, one student talked about someone who lived off the coast of Colorado, a coast which does not exist. Our best bet is that this kid was going for the word Carolina, but even still. Now, this next one kind of hurts my soul because I was up making a presentation talking about this building's facade but certainly not its facade. You see, there's these words that if all you ever do is read them, you never know how they really need to be said. And so in a presentation, one kid got up to talk about the Mikado, but certainly not the Mikado. Or what about the paper on Shakespeare, where one person piped up and said, is that one of Shakespeare's new plays? To which someone replied, yes, it is a new production of one of Shakespeare's plays. To which they corrected them and said, no, 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 is that one of his new plays? To which I'm going to venture no, because he died in 1616. Or what about the students who are so wrong but are so clueless to it, they'll pipe up and give wrong answers. Like when a fellow professor asked, where is the Middle East? To which one person said, it's an island, which is wrong. But then someone else piped up and said, no, no, it's in Africa. And then something that I think delights all professors is reading a terrible paper. And then suddenly there's one paragraph that is well written. And there you've given it away that that is your plagiarized paragraph. And then something that I can only imagine to be annoying is the person who will give a cute test answer, meaning that they will sometimes draw a picture on the answer sheet, which is a little hypocritical for me to make fun of because I will sometimes make jokes in my free answer portions, but I only ever do that when I know the answer to the question and when it's going to be graded by a TA that I already know. Thankfully, all of these failures were completely harmless, and the best thing that we can hope for is that even though we enjoyed their mistake, let's hope that they learned something from it. Profound. Who who to thunk? So many students failed. It's just, but they probably all got passing grades. <laughs> I don't know. They I should have had F. If I were a professor, and this that's is what probably, the fail is for. That's what that's what it means. I, if I were a professor, and this is probably the reason I'm not a professor. If I read that, I'd probably just give him a grade. Be like, you really didn't pass this, but I enjoyed the reading you this so made much. My night. I'm just giving you all these points. You're probably going to fail this class in the future because if this is what I mean, this really is. Not a problem. But. I have never laughed harder than reading your papers. What are you going to send me next week? Isn't that um, – it's sad for your parents, Merritt. Are they happy? Are they depressed? It, the thing is, so they read a lot of bad papers. Yeah. And they try to make them still feel better about it. My dad grades with a green pen as opposed to a red one. Really? Because so green is kinder. Green is kinder. It's green gentler. It's kinder. Yeah. But Plus granted, they've got to – it definitely makes their day when – Reading a bunch of bad papers becomes reading a bunch of bad papers with at least one funny thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know what? It gives you something to look forward to, I think. I think it's a very positive thing. Sky, did you learn anything about paper writing? 
Um, you always mix up erotic and exotic. I do that a lot, don't I? Yeah. No, I don't think I do that. that don't talk your way out of it, son. Just because, yeah, you do. I just don't like writing papers, so I don't avoid yeah. any class that has to write papers. Well, next time, you you know, school starts soon, so I'd like maybe you could bring some of your papers by and we can oh, correct we them. We can do that. That'd help Failure, out. you know. What would life be without it? I do it every day. It's called the Matt Townsend Show. Um, we're going to be taking a break. When we come back, we're bringing on the wonderful Diana Laufenberg is going to be joining us. She is. Uh, she has a TED Talk um, on how to learn from our mistakes. Wouldn't that be amazing? She's a teacher, taught grades 7 to 12th in social studies over the past 15 years. She uh, has won numerous awards. We'll be talking to her. But our goal of the show is to teach us all how to learn from our failures. They don't have to be so big. You know what? They could be a great pivot point in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back talking about it right here on BYU Radio. Did you leave BYU without a degree? I'm thankful for the Bachelor of General Studies program because as I chose the life that I wanted to live, being a full-time mom, staying at home, and raising my children, it just gave me hope that I could still finish my goal, but at the same time I could still be fulfilling my responsibilities as a wife and a mother while still being able to take university courses. Go online to bgs.byu.edu to see if you qualify to finish at home what you started at BYU, Bachelor of General Studies. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. New reports suggest the U.S. military could begin hitting targets in Syria as soon as this Thursday. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel's assets have been put into place to fulfill any and all orders given by the president in the coming days. Despite U.S. forces preparing for action and top Obama administration aides laying the groundwork for an attack in response to the possible use of chemical weapons by the Syrian regime, President Obama has reportedly not yet made a final decision on whether or not U.S. forces will in fact deploy. Amid talk of Western nations preparing for a strike on Syria, Russian leaders are saying efforts to base a military intervention on the supposed use of chemical weapons will create catastrophic consequences for Syria and other nations in the region. Meanwhile, United Nations officials in Iran are urging Iranian leaders to sway Syrian President Bashir Assad to attend planned peace talks with opposition groups in Geneva. UN leaders are hopeful working with Iran and neighboring nations will help bring a swift end to the bloodshed. The massive wildfire burning in and around Yosemite National Park is now spreading to higher elevations, giving fire crews their first break in battling the blaze. The fire has burned hotter and faster than any other in the region's history. A federal court overseeing Detroit's bankruptcy filing is speeding up the already accelerated hearing to decide if the city is allowed to seek protection from its creditors. Initial arguments in the case will now begin the middle of next month. Once again, convicted Fort Hood gunman Nadal Hassan has rested his defense without providing any testimony or statement of any kind. This time, his silence came during the sentencing portion of his trial. He may face the death penalty. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're teaching you the importance of failure. You'd think you wouldn't need that little lesson, right? We all do it since day one. We've all been uh, 
dropping things, falling. I've even noticed a lot of a lot of new babies that are as they're learning to walk. These little little munchkins, a lot of them fall a lot. It's almost like they have to to learn to walk. That's the point of failure, isn't it? We're talking today to Diana Laufenberg. Diana is an educator. She's taught grades 7 through 12 in social studies over the past 15 years. Recently, she taught at the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. That is an inquiry-driven, project-based high school focused on modern learning. She practices and teaches experiential education, taking students from the classroom to the real world and back again. She was named Technology Teacher of the Year for Arizona. She's a member of the Governor's Master Teacher Corps, was featured on TED.com for her talk, How to Learn from Mistakes. She's done it all, recognized for her uh, earning a national board certification as an educator. She's also uh, a great blogger that you can find at Laufenberg.wordpress.com. Diana, thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. It really is. I love your TED Talk, and I just love the topic of failure, because apparently we're supposed to be failing, right? Yeah, and um, what what has happened, I mean, the thing that, that called it to my attention so much was working in a school setting where kids started to really become over-focused with the idea of just tell me the right answer, uh. and started to realize how much we had sanitized our school spaces from kids trying something and figuring it out for themselves and being okay if they stumble along the way a little bit. Yeah, just tell me what, just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what <laughs> hole to jump through instead of learning how to do it. How sad. Right. Yes, and I was seeing that as a really um, not optimal situation for real learning to occur, and it, right. and it started to kind of ramp up um, throughout my teaching career and kind of got to a a point at which I started to address it pretty specifically with the way I, I started interacting with kids, and that's to use uh, an approach that's much more inquiry-driven. Um, I love it. And it's, that's more natural, right? I mean, kids, I don't know. When I grew up, you just go figure stuff out in the backyard. You know, you just mm-hmm. try it. I mean, pour a little gasoline on it, light a match, you'll learn. <laughs> I mean, I grew, up on a, I grew up on a farm, and... A lot of people ask me something like, "When did you figure this out? Was a good this was a good idea?" I was like, "When the cows got out, you know. Oh, perhaps we need to fix the fence." You know, I mean, it's it was kind of a a a, a way of life for me. But we were really taking out those um, moments for kids to play with their learning a little bit and have some flexibility that allowed them to to stumble, yeah. um, to just do something you know kind of big and bold, and it could be a little off, but they were moving in the right direction and learning things, but that there wasn't, you know, a, a room full of kids all producing the same thing at the same time in the same way um, because that just wasn't yielding, A, anything very interesting, and then, B, the learning wasn't sticking because there was no thought going into it on the kid part. Well, it's, yeah, it seems kind of like you would need to know the question in order to know the answer, um, and our kids don't even know what they're questioning. They just know someone's questioning it. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like in the real world, it's really good to just fail enough to start getting your questions even right. Yeah. It, another funny lens on this is that um, oftentimes in schools, we over-focus on the idea of problem solving. Mm-hmm. But if you ask a lot of executives, they want people that want problem either identification or problem articulation because we, yes, taught them how to solve problems, by giving them the problem, yeah. but never help them start from a place where they inquired from their own place of curiosity and then came into what might be a way we can solve it. 
we just skipped that step and went, please solve our problem, which again, is A, less engaging, and B, less of a learning opportunity. Yeah, and, and it also almost seems um, it seems backwards because I, I assume if you can articulate it and discover what the problem is, you might have enough ingenuity to go solve it versus if you just solve your one kind of problem, you may not notice the other thousands of issues. Right. They're worried about jumping the hoop for you instead mm-hmm. of asking naturally curious or interesting things to them. It's a you know, it's, it's who are you focused on. I often joke with people when I talk to big groups of teachers, I'll say, you know, I went to high school. It was fantastic. When I'm teaching, I am no longer in my high school experience. It's about the kids' high school experience and how do we, you know, invite them into their own learning. And one of the ways is this idea of making things um, much more inquiry-driven, project-based, which allows for... Um, stumbling and trying big things and falling short and reflecting on the process and doing better next time. And, and it's a, just a very iterative process, and it's actually how real learning takes place rather than this is the set of steps I need you to go through exactly like this, and if you hoop jump in the correct order, yeah. I will give you this grade. It's well, much more, you know, rat-in-a-cage pellet situation. Well, having received a doctorate, that seems like most of my college education, though, was honestly... Mm-hmm chasing a mouse down a hole and yep. doing exactly so every every class finding what the teacher wanted literally not necessarily mm-hmm. just exploring your learning finding what you what the teacher wanted write that paper that way get it in think their way then go to the next teacher do it think their way then eventually when you kind of get near the end they actually start they want you to start formulating your own opinion and then a lot of times you're like i can't do that I never learned when how to did I that. get invited into this yeah. Um What's been interesting is, so I worked at SLA for four years, and actually the work I'm doing now isn't as a teacher anymore full-time. I do a lot of, do a lot of different things right now, but one of them is to expand the model, and so I'm working on getting their second school up and running. It'll wow. open in two weeks, and then um, hopefully opening a middle school again in a year, and then um, have been working with a turnaround model as well. And our students that graduate, they come back and they say, I think my high school experience was better than my college experience. I don't know what to do with that. Um, In terms of engaging them in their own learning process. But what we're also finding is these are the kids who immediately hit campus and find themselves in leadership positions Mm. at, in all the clubs and organizations. I swear half of the sophomores at college right now that are alum are studying abroad. Wow. Um, they're all doing, I mean, they, and that's basically what we, we tell them is your classes aren't going to be challenging to you. It's all going to be doable. What you need to go do is, you know, find that advisor, find that lab you want to work in, find that experience, get yourself, you know, in with the interesting opportunities. Um, I, there was a kid in the office today. She said, yeah, somehow I found myself as the leader of the Stanford Women in Math group. She's <laughs> 18 years old. Wow. <laughs> An 18-year-old jumps in and yeah. is now the leader of it. Yeah, she's just uh, just finished her freshman year. Holy cow. Um, and so, you know, it was, it, you know, there, yes, um, oftentimes they get a little frustrated at college, but we're also hoping that these are the kids that will push the envelope a little bit as well. Well, and um, how can they so not, we right? bring about some change. Yeah, if they're used to kind of creating their own learning from the inside out, getting their questions, figuring out answers, I mean, it's... It's it's this power to fail, and it, it, there's just such an aversion to it. What what is the aversion? Do you think, really, to all of us as humans and, and failure? 
Well, part of it is there's a really great resource, and I'll, I'll push that out on Twitter as well, but there's this really um, great resource um, written by a Harvard business um, professor named Amy Edmondson. She breaks it down that we often have focused on one end of the failure spectrum so heavily that we've turned it all into a negative and make all failure about that one end. And the, the kind of continuum she uses is that it's blameworthy failure, the kinds you were talking about yeah. um, before I came on. You know, like, you didn't do it. You, don't, you know, you've completely owned your ignorance in public. You're, right. you're screwing up. Didn't do it. Didn't try. Cheated. You know, that end of failure. But then there's also this whole other, she has nine levels, and the top level is praiseworthy failure, mm. which is, cancer research, five-year-olds playing soccer, seven-year-olds on the violin. Those are all things that we look at very differently because we understand that although not successful in that moment, is a worthy pursuit toward a goal. Yeah. And we don't that's powerful. empower them. Yeah. Right. It is. And, and But we don't look at their learning, the school situation, in the same way. And it's really stultifying to a lot of kids. They really just start becoming right answer machines for you. Hmm. And, it, and it's just the exact opposite thing. And we, we, we just kind of sink to the blameworthy side, like you're losers, you're idiots, you don't know how to do right. this, and you're this old, come on, versus right. well, there's something right. praiseworthy about it, the mere fact that you're trying. And that you're willing to take a bit of an academic risk. Yeah. I would work with my juniors and seniors, and you know they'd say, I'm going to attempt to do this thing, it's kind of big. I don't know how it's going to end up. Like some original research that a lot, a lot of kids did, one or two original research projects for us where they went and hunted down a story. And sometimes it didn't, you know, I mean, as anybody who would have tried to tell a story about, um, you know, a historical event or, you know, some, some citywide issue, sometimes the resources come together well and sometimes they don't. Right. And you put together what you can, but we focused a lot on the process. So every time a kid did something, they would reflect on what went well, what didn't go well, what would I do next time, um, you know, how, how could I go about the process differently. And when you work with kids like that for four years on the process of their learning, by the time they're seniors, I mean, just get out of their way. I mean, it's, it's, Powerful. it's, it's something to see. Well, it's, that's really interesting. Um, so that you use failure as the process for learning. It's just... It's just another iteration. Just try it again. Figure it out. Yep. Try it again. Figure and, it out. Yep. And we have a, an engineering class that all our freshmen take where the, you know, the motto, motto is, and for many engineers, which is fail early and fail often, because <laughs> you want to know where your design is going to break down early yeah. so that you can continue to improve upon it. And that's really kind of a, a larger metaphor for the learning. Not that we want kids to wallow and feel like they're not going anywhere and constantly, uh, quote, failure but that their learning is not something that is either a check mark or a minus, that it is a, a process and that it is dependent on their effort and their you know, initiative and their mind and their voice being a part of it. That is. And that's kind of the idea of your school, Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. One of your goals is it's um, you, you actually because you have to change the whole paradigm about learning, the whole culture of a school has got to be, you know, that there's there's more than one right answer. Right. That's powerful. What's, you know, and, and I'm not, and, 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 you know, you always hear people push back, like, well, two plus two is always four. And it's like, 
no, I'm not arguing that point. What I'm arguing is if that's all we feed our kids, it's like giving them McDonald's every day and calling it dinner. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's food, yeah. but it isn't going to get us where we want to. And if we continue with our learning at that level as well, where it's just right answer questions, it's, it's going to have the same effect only for their development as a learner. Um, you know, we can't yeah. have McDonald's every day. Well, and we gotta our future's changing, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming down that we don't know is coming down. And if we don't have the ability to learn, to adapt, to grow, to innovate, we, you know, we can't just keep using the past. Um, I just, so the last two weeks I've been out on the, on the road um, and I've seen about 2,500 teachers at school kickoff stuff. And the one thing that I say to them that's really kind of either depressing or empowering, depending on, on where you happen to be on that particular day as a teacher, and that it's we're never done again. You know, we're not, we're not done. Yeah. There's no done again. And while I see that as really interesting, yeah. you know, um, some people see that as, as a little exhausting. But the only thing I know for sure that is going to be useful for the next 50 years for the kids we're teaching is the idea of resiliency through their own learning understanding their own process, empowering them in that to understand it as an individual to then use that for the rest of their life. That's all I know oh, for huge. sure no. that they're going to need. Resiliency through learning. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'd love to have you teach us more about that. Uh, we're talking with Diana Laufenberg, um, teaching us how to create resiliency in our in ourselves, in our children, how failure is just another iteration. Let's try it again. Let's learn again. Let's gain our confidence from being resilient and knowing how to learn. Failure, it's not going to have to kill us. You know, maybe it's just the method of learning. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Thank you for visiting the Practically Perfect Nanny Service. I understand you have some very special qualifications for your new nanny. Yes, we do. First of all, she must have a cheery disposition. Rosy cheeks and no warts. She must be one who takes us on outings, gives us treats, sings songs, and of course, brings sweets. I see. Why would anyone accept this position? We will never give her cause to hate us. We won't hide her spectacles so she can't see. And we'll never put toads in her bed or pepper in her teeth. I have the perfect nanny for you. She'll be arriving by umbrella on the East Wind every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at Tuacon Amphitheater in southern Utah. You haven't seen Disney's Mary Poppins until you've seen it with a spoonful of Tuacon magic? Purchase tickets online at tuacon.org or call 855-TUACON. Expect the unforgettable. Only at Tuacon. With new releases each week, how can you know which movies your family should see? Well, Wednesdays at 9.30 Eastern on The Morning Show, we talk with movie reviewers from Parent Previews. And so I think there's a lot of power in a film like that. From age appropriateness to the message it delivers, get the inside scoop. For me, it was a movie that I thought, this is a great one to sit down and talk with your family about. Parent Previews, here on BYU Radio's Morning Show. On The Morning Show with Marcus Smith, we discuss just about anything from health to movies, finance to literature, and even graffiti. Graffiti is not an art that you need to be particularly well-versed to appreciate. You know, if you're painting a piece and a bunch of eight- or nine-year-olds walk around the corner and see you do it and they don't go, whoa, you're doing it wrong. 
Tune in to The Morning Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking failure. You know, come on. Just a little problem here and there. You can make it through life. Hey, I make it through a show with 100 fails. And now I'm learning that each one of those are just another opportunity to learn. See, Sky? Just because you fail a lot. I thought I was the one that never failed. Yeah, no. Now you're changing my role. I don't think you're a failure. Let's get this straight. I think you're just very resilient to learning. Well, I'm just saying at the beginning of the show, you said I've never failed. Did I? You did. I think so, I was blowing smoke. Did you fail then? That was a fail. Oh, okay. You have failed before. Yeah. I think I think I did once. Yeah. I yeah. think she called in on the show. <laughs> um, we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take our guest and go back to to Diana. She's she's much more interesting than we are. Diana Laufenberg's her name. She is a past educator, but now what she's doing, she's moving on to the big leagues. She teaches uh, actually is is opening up a new school for the Science Leadership Academy, um, and th- this is an organization that it tries to create a learning process in the school that's more inquiry driven, project based focused on trying to create a new modern version uh, for learning in our schools. Uh, The practice has deep roots in experiential education, taking students from the classroom to the real world and back again. And Diana um, has a wonderful talk. If if you're interested, go look up TED.com on TED Talks. Diana has a a talk, How to Learn from Your Mistakes. You can also see that at Loffenberg.wordpress.com. And you can chase her down on Twitter, apparently. Is that right, Diana? Yep. You're all you over the Twitter sphere? Mm-hmm. So you were talking about this idea of resiliency. And um, it's interesting when we think about what might be happening to our kids, where our kids are kind of, instead of necessarily learning the art of inquiry and you know, formulating their own questions, letting their own brain help them discover life and learn, you're kind of saying one of the things that's happening to our youth is they're just kind of becoming more like uh, robots that are just trying to regurgitate the answers to the silly or the questions that we think they need to know. Yes. And that that's going to eventually make them, I guess, less resilient through life, through exp- learning through life, through figuring stuff out, maybe even through advancing in careers, in education. Yeah, I mean, the, the the basic dichotomy is, and, and it's quite, I don't know if amusing is the right word, but perplexing perhaps, that, you know, we hear a lot about creativity and innovation, yeah. and that's kind of where this model heads, but much of the education policy and procedures are still geared towards a compliance and standardization oh, model interesting. Yeah. that runs completely counter to the other. So what we've done largely is attempt to move the thing forward, the learning, we often refer to it as a <laughs> the learning, um, by doing this other approach. And what we found is basically if you teach to the test, you will get the test. But if you teach past the test, you will get, they will do fine on the test and they will have this whole other skill set 
that allows them to interact in new and challenging ways, mm. creatively, innovatively. It doesn't mean that you know, they've stopped learning information. It's that that's not the only goal of the education. It's no longer just what you know, but what can you do with what you know. And so we push past the what do you know and really go into a higher level skill set with the information. Well, and I can hear your... Um... I can hear all the teachers in the world saying, oh, well, how neat for you, Diana. I mean, that's great for these special children that have the luxury. But the rest of the children need to just make – we just need to make sure that they just have a minimum basic understanding and knowledge. You're just trying to take them somewhere else. What would you say? Well, first of all, Every time a kid shows up in your classroom, the goal should be to attempt to move them from where they are to the farthest potential you can get them in a year. That's that's the goal. And to do that, you have to tap into some methods and some ways of learning that keep them interested, motivated, that is relevant, all of those things. And what you end up with is learning. What we're finding right now in, in every, you know, there's, any number of um, kind of teacher bashing rhetoric that goes on out there about, um, you know, why education is failing. And, and there's all this really interesting things being said, but at the very core level is that we have a duty to provide an interesting, engaging, thought-provoking space for kids to interact. That's the job of a teacher. So, the, the and and I have been lucky to be in places that empowered me to do that. Not all school systems are empowering their teachers to interact with kids that way. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of, again, compliance and standardization models that are being overlaid the process and making that not possible in some places just because of the, the nature of the system. Well, and it, I think of it, just anybody out there in listener land, how many of them have this continuing education mindset where even as adults, they're still actively engaged in learning and taking classes and reading and getting online and watching things like TED Talks. I mean, even most of us as parents, you know, we've we've complied and it, and it's now standardized. We passed the test. We, we graduated. I'm done learning. So I mean, yeah. even the paradigm is kind of universal to all of us, isn't it? That, you yeah. know. Just pass. And just jump the, the hoop. The, the shift, the shift about the modern learning bit is that we that it's not going to be enough. Mm. Like it's just, it's not going to get us there. It's going to fall short of both potential and also what we need. And that's the other thing is that we have just these. I mean, every once in a while, a, a kid would sit in class and they would ask me a factual question. And I, I worked in a one-to-one laptop setting for a couple of the fifteen years and. I would look at the kid and I'd be like, you sit in front of the most powerful tool for collecting information man has ever known. And you're and asking you ask the teacher. me that question. Like, Isn't that on. amazing? And they just look at me, totally chagrined. They're like, on it. On it. Thanks. My back, bad. I'm back at it. Got, gotcha. Um, but it's this sense that we, the school system can never be done asking what more can we do to serve the kids, not... We're stuck in this place of how can we package the what of their learning and how can we then measure it rather than what are the methods and the questions 
that actually are interesting for kids to engage in. I mean, we're if we stick with what we're currently doing nationally, yeah. oh yeah, we're gonna we're boring the snot out of these kids. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's it, it. You know, I sat in right before I left the office today. Um, two kids were in, a former student and a friend of his came along, and she had gone to a different high school, and he sat down, and he's 20 years old now, and he goes, being here for these four years was the best four years of my entire life. I'm afraid that it's not going to be any better than this going forward. <laughs> <laughs> my life will never be better than this. And yeah. the girl that came in with him had gone to this other high school, and she just looked at him like, my high school was not that at all. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Um, yeah, the social stuff was fun, but the schoolwork was horrible. Right, and and it's really not, it's just not enough. It's not going to get us there. It falls short, and it's just not maximizing our own potential. Like, no. it's, we should have these kids show up to school every day, and we can do this, like, crazy, amazing stuff with them all day long, and we don't. And, you know, you just got to stop and ask yourself, like, why aren't we, you know, why aren't we putting, why aren't we, you know, filling a room with two-year, or second graders and cardboard boxes and saying, what can you build? Yeah. And, you know, what can you make? And what do you think about this? And, you know, and really engaging them in a, in a different lens on it, still based in content, still based in, you know, information, but we don't stop there. It's just not realizing the potential. And the real, and the resiliency, you define how then? What is the definition of resilient, re- resiliency through learning? So one of the big things is, okay, so now we ask all these kids to do these big audacious things, and we tell them that, um, you know, trust us, it'll be fine, this is going to be cool, um, it'll be all right. But then how do you actually work with them through that? And so it's the, the ability to work through changing circumstances while still going through your, mm. still attending to the core purpose. Yeah. So it's, it's saying, okay, there are changing circumstances here, but I'm going to adapt to them and still get to the goal, still finish the project, still complete the course, still do the research, even though while I'm doing it, an unknown set of circumstances is developing. Um, that and is you life. You just described life. A, what's that? That's life. You just described it. I mean, you're teaching kids to basically manage life from here on out. Things are going to change, but you're going to continue to adapt, to you know, innovate, to energize it and change it and learn, even as it's changing. Correct. Hmm. Weird. I know, right? Why, uh, on why Earth? is that weird? <laughs> like, Isn't that crazy? Isn't that good... <laughs> Instead, we've got all these kids regurgitating facts that honestly are. It's going to be good for a test, right then. But they're not going to be able to ha- handle change. How many people right now can't handle change in life? And it's inevitable. Right. And, and that's the, you know, and, and the, you know, the other big thing is that we have these kids with us for roughly 13 years. And then they go on for another 50 or 60 years beyond that. What are we doing with those years we have them to set them up on a glide path to just keep knocking it out of the park time after time and again, rather than feel like they survived something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I survived it. It's just not realizing the potential. Okay. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Diana Loffenberg, who's teaching us the power of resiliency, the power of resiliency through learning. Oh, man, heaven forbid that we're actually learning to deal with change and being adapting and adaptive and open to new change and new learning. And boy, how would it be? By the way, one of the keys, failure. You have to increase your failure to increase your opportunity to learn, right? 
Sometimes it's a big key. Or you can just regurgitate facts. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo. On Through the Garage Door, we're getting together to talk about music. Now, yeah. Is anybody making horrible acoustic music? Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in college dorms all across the yeah, country. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, major artists. I, I don't think there's anyone that you can excoriate. Tune in to Through the Garage Door for BYU Radio's look into what's good in rock and roll. Weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. U.S. military forces are preparing to strike in Syria if President Obama should give the order, according to Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel. Some reports suggest a strike could come as early as this Thursday. Despite U.S. forces preparing for action and Vice President Joe Biden stating there is no doubt the Syrian regime is behind a chemical weapons attack against civilians earlier this month, President Obama has reportedly not yet made an official decision to send U.S. assets into harm's way. In response to talk by Western nations about attacking the Syrian regime, Russian leaders are defending their longtime ally, Syrian President Bashir Assad, and warning any attempt at a military intervention in Syria would be, will be catastrophic. Meanwhile, United Nations officials in Iran are urging Iranian leaders to sway Syrian President Bashir Assad to attend planned peace talks with opposition groups in Geneva. UN leaders are hopeful working with Iran and other neighboring nations will bring a swift end to the bloodshed. The massive wildfire burning in and around Yosemite National Park is now spreading to higher elevations, giving fire crews their first break in battling the blaze. The fire has burned hotter and faster than any other in the region's history. A federal court overseeing Detroit's bankruptcy filing is speeding up the already accelerated hearing to decide if the city is allowed to seek protection from its creditors. Initial arguments will now be heard the middle of next month. Once again, convicted Fort Hood gunman Nadal Hassan has rested his defense without providing any testimony or statement of any kind. This time his silence came during the sentencing portion of his trial. He may face the death penalty. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Skyboy's been playing with the bumpers a bit here. You're amping them up, my friend. You like it? I like it a lot. I can't take all the credit. Well, most of the credit goes to Rob. Wow. You guys are good. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about failure. Now, how many times did you guys have to fail to get that right? I, I don't fail. So I'm, I'm trying to tell you, Matt. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> delusion and failure and uh, the impact that uh, when you delude yourself that uh, you're still failing even though you don't know it. Uh, we've got a wonderful guest joining us. Diana Laufenberg is our guest. She uh, has taught as a, as a teacher grades 7 through 12 in social studies over the past 15 years, but now she's on to a new journey. She um, recently taught at the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. Now, that is kind of a, a new school approach where they, they have an inquiry-driven, project-based high school focused on modern learning. 
their desire is to uh, get some experiential education, taking students from the classroom and, you know, dealing with real-life world issues and then going back to the classroom, solving some real-world issues. And right now, Diana's putting together, um, I guess she's opening another school. Well, uh, Diana, in fact, where is this new school you're putting together? It's also in Philadelphia. Um, it's seen as an extension of the original campus. So we'll serve another 125 freshmen. So there'll be wow. 125 at the main campus and then another 125 at, at a campus that's just geographically in a different part of the city. Um, yeah. so we'll have... And just this week, we've been meeting with our new incoming freshmen um, in a, what's called a summer institute yeah. um, led by Marcy Hall, who's also listening in. Um, and they are working to um, see about kind of grounding the kids in the model, um, sending them out into the city to do some observations and look for, you know, local problems that need um, some explanation and, you know, kind of taking them through a little bit of an inquiry model to to help them have a better kind of glide path into the classroom when we start up on September 9th. You know, I think that's a great idea and all, Diana, but but maybe what they should be doing is just sitting in a political science class, regurgitating <laughs> and quoting the Constitution or, you know, reading the Declaration of Independence. Maybe well, that's in, in probably the best way to learn. Just go see the Declaration of Independence. I know, exactly. <laughs> and it seems so smart that you're out there saying, look, here's real world community issues. What are you guys mm-hmm. noticing? And then tell me how profound that makes it when we get back into the classroom and then you do bring up, you know, whatever part. Because think of that, what they're experiencing is going to be in every field you could study. The sciences, math, literature. And they start to also see less um, discrete lines between the subject areas. They Uh start to see kind of a vertical pull through subject areas with big themes like community development and also you know, larger issues of import. Like um, at one point in time, I had had my government students do and They could pick anything they wanted to personally lobby for in the first semester. And one kid had, you know, studied something in his science class and thought that issue was really important and then brought it in as his lobbying issue into government and saw, you know, those connections between his learning. Wow. Which is also the power of doing these kind of big moments where they start to see things from kind of a, just a different vantage point where things aren't in these discrete little boxes that live separate from each other. Yeah, it's like it's integrated. It's like this world is integrated, and yet we learn it in all of these little boxes. None of them are integrated, and um, then we're supposed to recognize it 10 years later. Right. And make and, the connections then. Yeah, the, the famous line um, that my boss uses um, is that school shouldn't be like real life or preparation for real life. It just should be real, real life. life I love that. So th- this is the concept of resiliency um, through our learning, that we're setting ourselves up to actually be learners. Instead of just to, instead of learning some list or litany of stuff, we're supposed to actually learn in school th- this ability to, to learn, to truly be right. resilient learners. How do we build that? So as a parent, what can I be doing? I mean, other than shipping my kids off to Philadelphia for your school, which sounds like a really good idea, quite honestly. Um, um, what, 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 what can we be doing? There's two things that I would suggest. Number one, there is um, a book out by a woman named Carol Dweck. D-W-E-C-K is her last name, and it's called Mindsets. And it gets at this idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, which is really the thing that under scores the whole conversation. It's that sense of I'm good at math versus mm. oh, I'm yeah. learning math. Yeah. 
um, and 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 really does offer some practical suggestions when you're when you're talking to kids about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Is you don't just say good job when they didn't do a good job, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That, oh, you're working on that. I saw some growth here, and you're still working There's on that progress. part. You know, just, right, false praise does nothing. Um, but, but having, I mean, they know. That's the other, you know, because a, a lot of times by the 11th and 12th grade, kids will do their own self-assessments of their work, and then we'll talk about it. They know when they've done something very well or, or stumbled a little bit or had trouble in it. They know. Oh, yeah. And so actually engaging them in a conversation and reflecting on that, like, you know, what do you think went well there? What didn't? You know, what what might you do differently next time? Or, or walk me through all the decisions that you made when you decided to do that. You know, and and really lay bare the process. So that's that book by Carol Dweck is pretty that fantastic. Sounds, by the way, that the, the very least by walking them through how they thought through it, you're still engaging the learning. Here's so I'm a I'm a I'm a guy that never. Uh, let me just put it this way. If I have a chapter in my book that's called Townsend's Don't Do Math, <laughs> because I could not do math to save my life, and because it just wasn't right, and what the heck is X? I mean, seriously, and who cares about it, right? I mean, if it doesn't have a number, it's not worth anything, and so I, I grew up stressing about it freaking out, worried about my life. Like, I'm such a loser because all my friends are getting four O's and they all do math and I can't right. do math. And then um, I went home, needed to take a retake a test, like my third retake. I think it was like the last retake till they like just say, yeah, you can't do math. And um, I went home. I was worried about it all weekend. And my mom was just like, what is your deal? I'm like, I hate math. It's so stupid. We, I can't get it. And she looks at me, just shakes her head. She goes, Matt, we're not math people. We don't we don't do math. And I'm like, we don't. I, it was like she had just diagnosed me with like Alzheimer's. Oh, OK. Townsend's. We don't do math. Your dad couldn't do it. Your mom, grandpa. None of us do math. We're not math people. And I'm like, sweet. I was so relieved. And I went back to school that Monday and my teacher's like, you ready to take the test? And I'm like, nope. You know what? Guess what I found out? My mom said. My mom says we're not math people. <laughs> it's like we're nomads. We we live in a village somewhere, and we travel all over the world, but we don't have a home. Um, and this lady, this teacher was brilliant. She she pushed her glasses up off of her nose, and she poked her little finger in my chest, and she says, this Townsend's doing math. <laughs> and she ruined my life because she's like, no, you're learning it. You're learning it. And so yeah. part of this is we got to blow up this mindset that it's fixed, right? That, that right. you know, I mean, we have this culturally. We believe certain cultures are just better at math than other cultures. And, and, and instead of just thinking that maybe they just work differently, maybe they work harder, maybe they don't believe that they can't learn it. Right. And, and that you're just all on a trajectory of learning. Whereas, and it's the way that I like to think it, this is the way you can think about your math. Um, in Philadelphia, there's this great stretch where everybody, like half the city comes out to run. And I, I spent four years along this stretch and I would watch people run. And there were, you know, a thousand different ways that people looked like they were running. <laughs> I hate Some watching people really run. Good at it. I know. Yeah. Some of them looked like it was really wrong. You know, that like is not running, done. by the way. <laughs> but it's the same kind of thing that that some you're just improving. Yeah. You know, it's the five-year-old playing soccer. That we don't want them to look like that all the time. But the only way they get better is to continue playing soccer and encouraging them to improve their skill set from where they are. Yeah. 
And so, you know, it's, it's a lot about taking kids from where they are and moving them forward and, and engaging them in a conversation about the process by which they're moving forward. And that's something that every parent can do. So as we, we turn the conversation from just an end of knowing this one project or knowing this one, you know, equation to a process of learning. And I guess maybe one of the things you're saying is con- continually reflect upon the process of learning. How are you learning? Tell me what you're noticing. What are you noticing right. about the homework tonight? Mm-hmm. And just or, asking you know, those just... reflective questions. Yep. Or anytime they've been at all engaged in building something. If you ask a six-year-old to put together a pile of Legos into something and ask them why they made all those decisions, they have something to share with you. Oh, and yeah. it's quite fascinating. Um, and, and we stop doing that as they get older. It's around the third, fourth, fifth grade. We start to kind of suck the joy out of the learning experience <laughs> for kids by, by turning a lot of their learning into this rote, um, regurgitated pile, rather than continuing to engage them in conversations about their own learning and reflecting on it. Um, And that's just, you know, I mean, you do, it's why you watch game tape. It's why you, you know, we we understand this in so many other contexts, and we accept that as part of the process, and we just don't have the tolerance for it in a more um, kind of traditional learning model. It's because like the pros... The pro musicians, I mean, even uh, on this radio show, we we try to go back and listen. I can't stomach it. But we try to go back and listen so that we can learn. So so professionals are doing it. Experts are doing it. Doctors are doing it. Everyone's doing it, except we're not teaching that it to our children. We're not teaching the way to continually reflect and learn as a core way of living. Correct. Powerful. And, it, and, it's, and it's damaging. You oh, know, yeah. It's... it's because, you know, you get, you get students in as, you know, when I taught in the middle school, we taught this way. When I was out in Arizona, I taught in Flagstaff for eight years, and um, we had a model like that that we really did use um, with a team, an integrated team. So it was me, a science, social studies, math, and history teacher together, and we worked this way for uh, several years, and we had the kids for a two-year loop. So we saw the same set of kids for two years. Wow. And in that two years, you would you'd take them in, and you'd have to kind of undo the mindset that had been drilled into them about just tell me I'm done, just mm-hmm. tell me I'm right, you know, just I will do what you tell me, just just lay it out for me, and really start to engage them. And, and it's, you know, I, the, the analogy is it's like getting up off the couch after not exercising for three years. Oh. The first couple months is a little painful. Yeah. Um, but, and it's the same way with the kids, because it doesn't work, you know, it's not beautiful that first couple months when you start engaging kids like this. But after they've got a taste of it, they just don't go back. Um, we would send kids off to the high school out of this middle school that I worked in, and a kid would walk up to their teacher and say something to the effect of, <laughs> well, um, for this project, I actually think a better way to uh, evidence my learning <laughs> would be, and they just look at him like, you were in law from birth yeah. class, weren't you? <laughs> Can you please remember who the teacher is here? I am the teacher. You don't know anything. Shut your mouth and go um, back to your desk. <laughs> yeah, but we just told them to keep pushing, you know, well, why and, not? and things I mean, did shift a little bit, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the way you do it, because it, the old, you, can, you can talk about it all day long, but you, you need to engage in the process yeah. of working with kids more um, authentically in their own experience and engaging them in their own learning process. Well, in fact, look at that. So now all of a sudden your students are bringing back suggestions for better implementation and learning to the teacher 
who may not yeah. be open to it because they're in a closed learning environment where they're the right. ones that know. So shut your mouth and do it my way instead right. of having this reflective loop where the teacher themselves are learning. Right. And like and then all of a sudden we can great. incorporate that into yeah. the next one. How powerful. Heaven yeah. forbid. I mean, I, I constantly would do things in front of the kids like they'd say, you know, they'd ask me something, you know, what happened or how did this go down or what was that? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know exactly. Let's look at it and, you know, model in front of them how you would go and find some reputable information to trust about that, you know, and just, yeah. again, laying bare my learning process transparently as well so that they could see that it was also an iterative process still in my life. Mm. So some other practices then of this kind of resilient learning uh, what are some more things we do? I, it seems like one thing that has to be there is you just have to be positive. You have to kind of trust the system of learning because at first it may just look like chaos, it seems like. It yeah. may just look like a bunch of kids. You're like, you know, the kids are running the show. But but in right. reality, they're, they're, they are running their own learning, and, and you can stay positive about that. Well, and you can – and as a teacher, you can put in – certain um, kind of routines and, and edges to it so that, you know, like whenever I have kids doing 65 different projects, I also had a graphic organizer that the kids would fill out as they were doing it so that I could keep pace with them. Okay. You know, that was a tool that I needed yeah. to, to walk along with them and to continue to be helpful. But then you also just need to be very flexible. You know, one of, one of my greatest teacher mistakes was when I tried to kill this project two boys had proposed to me because I didn't like the idea and they turned out one of the best video editing projects I had seen in four years. Really? And I tried to kill that thing pretty hard. It's one of the teacher stories I share all the time. And, you had and, no and vision. A, Diana, you, had, yeah, you were yeah. visionless. Well, it was, I call it the, the joy killing that teachers involve. You know, yeah. it comes up. Great that, idea. Was, no. that was the old teacher in you coming idea. back out. How interesting. Yeah. But they fought um, you through so, it. They kind of kept pushing and pushed and pushed. Yeah. And, and they were just so sure their idea was good. And I finally relented mostly because I was just kind of tired mm-hmm. of them asking. And, and it was phenomenal. Like it, it is one of just one of the most amazing projects that kids have done. And, and I almost killed that thing. And well, but it, if it, it had failed, it would have been great, too, because even the big failure would have been, okay, well, see, what do we learn? Right. I mean, you yeah, could have said, you could have, I told you so. I've been trying to tell you guys this wouldn't work. But the powerful thing is they, how, think of how many times they were failing, but they had to get it right to get it right for you. That's powerful. Right, exactly. Yep. Good job. It's all, it's all those things. Um, Diana, I want to be in your class. <laughs> do, do you do well, math, Diana? Because Townsend's don't do I, math. I, I, uh, we do. We Waffenbergs do whatever needs to get done. We're, we're farmers. Um, oh, there you so go. We're mathematicians, uh, small business people, accountants. We shovel a lot of things I wish I wouldn't <laughs> and uh, fix a lot of fence. See? So. That's the way it's supposed to be. Well, Diana, we <laughs> so appreciate you being with us. Uh, if you had to give us one point, kind of the one key to being resilient through failure to keep learning, what's that one key? Is to constantly reflect on the process by which you've gotten to where you are and look to do better next time. Huge. Constant reflection. Yep. Diana, appreciate you. Everybody's got to go check you out. Loffenberg.wordpress.com. She's got it going. Wouldn't it be great to have a, a teacher like Diana? See, Sky, that would have helped you so much. Seriously, you wouldn't be running our board. That's you'd true. Be a, you'd be a professional dancer like you want to be. If only... Someday. Happen. Like she taught you, they Someday. do everything. Maybe they I shovel. should start failing a little bit. Nah, let's not start on my <laughs> show. If you want to, just do it on anyone else's show, not my show. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
What started as an art project may become the electric blanket of the future. Cuddle up and listen to this one. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Architectural design students at the University of Toronto have created a fascinating take on the electric blanket. This one may not make you warmer, but it might become a hospital tool of the future. The blanket, called the IM Blanky, looks like an intricately embroidered normal blanket at first. But the embroidery is actually all flexible, sewn, textile-based circuitry. The patterns that look like flowers are tilt sensors with conductive tassels that contact one of six petals to record 3D positions in space. When you throw the blanket over a sleeping person, it creates a real-time 3D computer model of the sleeper. One idea is that the blanket can be used as a non-invasive diagnostic tool, save for monitoring sleep disorders in patients to track sleepwalkers or even to track breathing patterns through the night. Additional sensor upgrades are possible, for example, temperature and moisture sensors. I Am Blanky started as an art project, but it may end up as real hardware. Or would it be considered software? For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back. Failure 101 is the name of the show today. We are talking about how to uh, take your failure to the next level. Make sure you're learning. Make sure you're constantly reflecting on the process that you're going through as you're trying to learn. Skyboy's learning a lot. Aren't you, Sky? Every day, Matt. Every day. Well, um, good. Every day. (laughs) That's a good little mantra. And our own Colonel Sanders has been putting together some news for us. Is that right? Well, you don't even have to say failure anymore. I Why? think we have all used the internet enough that we've accepted the word fail, fail as a noun. Fail in the news. Our first fail comes from the UK where would-be burglars tried to steal an entire ATM. They smashed their way into a store, tried at first to drag the cash machine out of there themselves, found it was too heavy. So they tied it to their van, but it was still too heavy. And by then, they were attracting a lot of attention, so they left the van and the cash machine behind. Kind of makes you wonder if they ever finished school. Well, how about starting school? The University of Liberia in Liberia, 25,000 students signed up to take the entrance exam for this fall, each paying about $25 apiece. Guess how many people failed the exam? 25,000 people. So there will be no freshman class for the fall of 2013, which has some in the government scratching their heads and admitting, you know, I know there's a lot of weakness in schools, but the entire group failing, I have my doubts about that, especially when they were paying $25 apiece. You go back to our free American education, a high school in Alabama has a great football team and a great cheerleading squad who are not good at spelling. Well, here... The team was playing the Eagles. The cheerleaders had a giant sign 40 feet high that says, We cannot be held responsible for ruffled feathers. R-E-S-P-O-N-S-A-B-L-E. And if you think that's bad enough, how about MSNBC? Did you know Syracuse, New York is now on the border of Vermont? Yeah, that's all over the Internet. Speaking of spreading all over the Internet... 
When Microsoft's CEO resigned, another big executive in the company decided to reply some of his own thoughts. We're not sure who he was meaning to send his letter to, but he accidentally hit reply all and sent it to the entire company. Thankfully, he didn't say anything rude. It saved his bacon. Speaking about being lucky to save your bacon, imagine driving a semi at freeway speeds down the freeway in the middle of Indiana when you have to swerve out of the way of a car... And that sends you off the side of the road and up an embankment and into the air, Dukes of Hazard style. Just a good old boy. Another semi-truck driver going the other way catches it all on tape as you fly and land and the gas tank ruptures and catches fire. And you and your seven-year-old walk away with only scratches. You know what? I'm not even going to call that a fail. That's a win. And speaking about winning. Winning. Did you ever fail your driving test or have a child that did? It's heartbreaking. Nervous the entire time that you might not pass? The inspector panning the clipboard over saying, I'm sorry, you failed. Well, this woman in Korea didn't have to wait that long. She gets in the car, puts it in gear, drives five feet right into the bushes, and tips the car upside down. Total test time, eight seconds. And that's a look at fail in the news. That poor lady. I bet she didn't get her license. I don't think that, at least that <laughs> time round. Oh, that's pretty funny. Okay, our own Merritt Meekham's joining us. And Merritt has found um, on the interweb a top ten signs you might be afraid of failure. Yep. That's and we're going to go through the quiz. We're going to give everyone a chance. All of you get on your toes. Let's see if anyone here is afraid of failure, because if you're going to be on the Matt Townsend Show, get used to failure. <laughs> okay, ready? That doesn't sound good. You guys ready? Yes. Number one, um, you might have a fear of failure if failing makes you worry about what other people think about you. Ooh. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Sky, you looking like you're worried about what we're thinking. Uh Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, number two. Failing makes you worry about your ability to pursue the future you desire. Absolutely. One thing goes wrong. I'm just like, that's it. I'm going to be a hobo. Just I'm going to be a hobo. Done. Live in a van. Done. Down by I'm the river. I'm just going to just jump on trains and we'll just go around from city to city. Really? Man. You guys are scary. That sounds realistic. It's like my cousin who wanted to be in the FBI even as a kid. And I said, okay, well, what are you really going to go do? Guess what he does for a job? What? Wendy's manager. No, FBI. He, <laughs> he actually, got it? He actually got it. I know a guy that failed the FBI test because he was afraid of failing the FBI test. And he failed it, and he failed the lie detector. But he really didn't – he wasn't lying, but he was so nervous they hadn't seen anyone that nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's what a failure will do to you. Now he – is unemployed as a hobo and lives in a van down by the river. <laughs> no, really. Keep going. Okay. Failing makes you worry that people will lose interest in you. Like you'll be irrelevant. Yeah. Mm. It might make you worry about how smart or capable you are. Yeah. Failing makes you worry about disappointing people whose opinion you value. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you don't want to let people down. None of you worry no. about that one? I know Sky does. You were afraid of failing with your sister when you were babysitting. You didn't want her to get caught up in this young buck that was trying to win her hand in courtship. How did you know? I could tell. Yeah. But you did fail, didn't you? I did not fail. 
Because your I, mom called. Your mom called. She called me too. She said, they, she said they're looking for their daughter. <laughs> well, that was after I left. So that was. Okay. You <laughs> handed her over. No, no Skylar went all Uncle Buck style, and they're also looking for her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go Uncle Buck? Nothing worse than Uncle Buck in Iowa. That's scary. I think it's interesting that a fear of failure makes you worry about what other people think about you or that people who already care about you won't anymore. Well, yeah, but if they, they won't. care about you, they. They've obviously gone through you and your failures a few times. That's if they noticed. <laughs> if they noticed. <laughs> Some just don't notice. Mm. Mm, any other signs that we might be afraid of failure? Yeah. Um, once here's, I really like this one. It says, once you fail at something, you might have trouble imagining what you could have done differently to succeed. Huh. So you get so hung up on the failure, you can't even think of what you might do better, which keeps you from doing all those things we talked about today about learning through failure. See? That's a good point. So did you all learn what you're doing that's driving your failure? I just need to like have more naive people in my world so yeah. they don't notice my failures. Right. That's one way. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You can change the world and let them do it. How about you, Sky? Anything? Well, I'm not really failing yet, so I need to... Okay. I should yeah. probably start Delusions. Failing. Okay, great. <laughs> Merit, any learning that please might help? About failing? Yeah, yeah you don't, do you? No, no, not really. Well, okay, we're still failing. Um, This is the Matt Townsend Show, folks. Thanks so much. We'll be back tomorrow with more great ideas right here on BYU Radio.